0: News. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: But Christ not only fulfilled the law by obeying it in our place by his perfect life. But watch this, folks. He also fulfilled the law by obeying it in our place by his death on the cross. You see, the law demands that if we break it, there must be punishment. Not just physical punishment, but eternal punishment. It is the condemnation of the law. It is is the one who is cursed forever and ever. The law demands that sin be punished.
2: People today sometimes ask, why did Jesus have to die? Why didn't God just decide to forgive us without having to send his own son to be crucified? Well, as we just heard, even the death of Christ was required by the law of God. Today on Verse by Verse, we will continue a series on the Ten Commandments. Our teacher is Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In our last broadcast, Pastor Steve mentioned that there are two dangerous extremes that we must avoid in our view of God's law and the Ten Commandments. Here's Pastor Steve to explain further.
1: So the issue is this, if, if we don't arrive at a biblical balance and understand the relationship of grace to law, then I, t- I tell you that we'll fall into one of two extremes. We'll fall into either the extreme of antinomianism, which means no law. You don't have to do law, license to sin. It's the attitude that says one saved, always saved, do whatever you want. You'll never lose your salvation. Now the Bible doesn't teach that. But some do teach that, and if um, if we're not careful, we'll say no law. We're not under any law, so therefore we can do whatever we want. That is anti-nomianism. No law. Just do as you please. That is a license to sin. Jude speaks about that concerning false teachers. A license to sin. Or we could go the other extreme and say all law. All law, all of the laws are in effect. And you know what? If you do that, you've got the same problem that the Apostle Paul faced in the early church. This was the crisis of the early church. Jewish people came along in the early days of Christianity and said, look... You've got these Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. They need to obey the law. The men need to be circumcised. They need to keep every Jewish uh, festival. They need to do all of the ritual cleansings. They need to keep all of the holidays. They need to keep all of the, the kosher foods. And the apostles fought against that. And in every one of Paul's letters, he fights that. That's called legalism, that's called another gospel. That's what the whole letter to the Galatians was about. Paul was the strongest defender, along with all of the apostles, that salvation is by grace alone through faith and that not keeping the law. But ultimately, that's what you end up with. That's what you end up with if you take all law. So there, there is an um, important, critical issue in understanding this whole subject. Now, this morning, what I want to do is give you two vital truths about the law, and specifically the Ten Commandments, that will keep us from these erroneous extremes. And they are very, very dangerous. In fact, if you think, well, that's just an ancient issue. Nobody really uh, believes all law today. Let me tell you, they do. As someone who's Jewish, I've been exposed to a lot of Jewish believers, uh, uh, many in the Messianic Jewish uh, movement, who would say that, yes, we are under law. You've got to obey all the Jewish holidays. You've got to obey all of the, uh, the Jewish dietary laws. Don't you dare have ham. Don't you dare have Sweet and sour pork. You can't. You think that's not a relevant issue. It is a very relevant issue. Very relevant. Or those who want to go back to all of the civil laws that Israel had. And there are some like that. So let's begin by looking at the first vital truth about the law of Moses that protects us from error. And it is this. It is the fact that the law is permanent. The permanence of the law. That's how God intended it. And what I want you to do is look at Matthew chapter 5, the passage that I read to you just before we prayed. In light of how many Christians believe that grace releases them from the obedience to the law of God, it is fascinating to note that Jesus said just the opposite. He said that the law had an abiding and permanent nature, and he said it in Matthew chapter 5. I'll read it to you again, verse 17. Do not think, Jesus said, That I came to abolish the law or the prophets, I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. Meaning I didn't come to to destroy them. I didn't come to replace them. I didn't come to set them aside. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now the question is, why would Jesus feel compelled to mention that he had not come to abolish or to, to nullify or destroy the law. There's a reason for this. Now think about this. The Sermon on the Mount, of which these verses are in, were directed. was directed at Christ's followers. These words were for the followers of Christ. He said that right at the beginning, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, Matthew tells us, he went up on the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. This is a sermon for disciples for believers. Now, just at the outset, let me, let me tell you, it all ties in what, what I told you about the teaching of Chafer and Schofield and others like that. Because what they would do, actually, since Jesus went on to speak about the law, they would say, and they do say, that the Sermon on the Mount is irrelevant for church-age believers, too. They would say, since he spoke about law, this is for the Messianic Millennial Kingdom. It's for the Jews after the church age, not so. Not so. And we know that it can't be so. Because Jesus spoke about false prophets. And false teachers. And he spoke about things that will not exist. During the millennial kingdom. This is for us. This is for believers. What Jesus was saying. In light of the fact that the kingdom hasn't come. How should you live? This is not for the kingdom age. The kingdom age. You're not going to have some of the things that Jesus spoke about in this. In this sermon. So. What does he mean by this? Why would Jesus feel compelled to mention about destroying the law? Well, for one thing, it was the very, it was the very followers of Christ who so often heard from the Jewish religious leaders that Jesus of Nazareth broke the law, they said. No, he didn't, but they said he did. The religious leaders accused Christ of of doing such things as failing to keep their interpretation of the Sabbath law because he dared to heal somebody. He dared to do good on the Sabbath. And because of their very narrow view and interpretation of the laws, they said he's a Sabbath breaker, he's a law breaker. So Jesus had to defend that. His disciples heard that all the time. In addition, Jesus didn't teach law-keeping as a way of of meriting salvation. That's what the Jewish religious, religious leaders taught. In fact, if you look at verse 20 of Matthew 5, Jesus nailed it right here when he said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. They think that by being good and keeping the Ten Commandments, they're going to get to heaven. Jesus said, you better have something far better than that. And what he meant actually is you need to have my righteousness put on your accounts. because You don't have any righteousness of your own. You're not keeping the law. But the point is, is that Jesus didn't teach what they taught. He taught that he was the way to heaven, not law keeping. It was a new message to them. So Jesus needed to clarify. In addition, Jesus, when he did refer to the law, did not give the traditional rabbinical interpretations of the law. He spoke as one with authority. And he gave the, the, the true intent of the law. They thought he gave his, his own interpretation, his own unique Galilean interpretation as if he was modifying or replacing the Old Testament law. Let me, let me read to you from verse 27 and 28. We could have picked almost any place in the first part of, of this sermon. But in verse 27, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust, for her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, what Jesus was saying is this. You've heard from all of your teachers that, that the, the commandment that thou shalt not, shalt not commit adultery is simply if you have not committed the act of adultery, you have not broken the law. He said, but I'm telling you, as the one who gave the law, as the divine son of God, as the Lawgiver, that the intent of the law was never simply the physical act alone. It's part of it. But but I meant the heart. I meant what you're really thinking. It goes far, far beneath the externals. So Christ was, was not saying that I'm changing it. He wasn't modifying it. He was saying this is the way it, it always has been. Though you didn't know it. You didn't understand it. And so to dispel any doubts and confusion as to where he stood concerning the Old Testament law, Jesus makes this this profound, important statement about not coming to destroy the law or the prophets, which, by the way, means the entirety of of the Old Testament. Law in this context doesn't just mean the Ten Commandments. It means the first five books of the Old Testament, the law of Moses. And the prophets means, uh, by that he means the remainder of the Old Testament inspired writers, everybody else, Moses and everybody else, meaning the whole Old Testament. So instead of coming to replace the law with new laws, Jesus said that he actually came to fulfill them. And he added in verse 18 that these laws will never pass away. They are permanent and they will all be fulfilled or, or take place. That's what essentially fulfilled means, to complete, to take place, Uh, And let me explain that. What, What did Jesus mean by that? In what way did Jesus fulfill the Old Testament law? The Apostle Paul gave us great insight on this. If you look at Galatians chapter four, I think once again, Galatians chapter four is misunderstood. We don't go deeper enough in the true intent of what Paul meant. But Galatians four, verse four says this. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His son, born of a woman. Now watch this, born under the law. We often look at this and say, yes, Jesus was born Jewish. Well, it does mean that, but it means far more than that. It means that though he was the eternal son of God, he came into this world as one who perfectly obeyed the law of God. In in every one of its aspects. He came as one who subjected himself to the very laws that he laid down, the divine laws that, that you and I find impossible to keep because of our of our sinful natures. Jesus kept. He kept every one of them, and he kept them perfectly, all of them. He kept them, now watch this, as our legal representative, as our substitute. In other words, what we couldn't keep, he kept in our place. And there are a number of statements about that. For example, you don't need to turn there, but John 8 29, Jesus said this, and he who sent me is with me for he has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus was saying, I always obey his laws. Everything I do, the father is pleased with because I perfectly obey his laws. In John eight forty-six, he said, which of you convicts me of sin? That's a great question. You have all kinds of problems with me. What sin have I, have I committed? And nobody could answer. Because he never committed anything, any sin. And in Psalm 40, verse 8, it is a messianic psalm. David is, is looking ahead to the uh, prophetically speaking of the Lord Jesus. And listen to this, Psalm 40, verse 8. And it's concerning Christ. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Jesus not only perfectly obeyed every aspect of the law, he delighted to do that. He enjoyed it. He lived for that. That was his food. That was his his drink. That was what life was about. But Christ not only fulfilled the law by obeying it in our place by his perfect life. But watch this, folks. He also fulfilled the law by obeying it in our place by his death on the cross. You see, the law demands that if we break it, there must be punishment. Not just physical punishment, but eternal punishment. It is the condemnation of the law. It is it is the one who is cursed forever and ever. The law demands that sin be punished. That's why scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. And it means that the penalty for breaking the law is death, both physical and eternal, which the Bible refers to as hell, eternal separation from God. That's how holy God is and how sinful we are. And that's the just demands of the law. Therefore, because Jesus Christ, Jesus was our legal representative in fulfillment of the law, he died for our sins, He died in our place. That's why Scripture says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, in, in Christ's death, God treated Jesus as if He broke all of the law. And yet He had never broken any of the law because He was our legal representative, and we've broken the law. But on the cross, God treated him as if he broke all of the Mosaic laws. And when we come to Christ and trust him as our Savior and Lord, he treats us as if we have perfectly kept the Mosaic law, all of it. The righteousness, and you may not realize this, the righteousness we receive at salvation that's put on our account is the righteousness of Christ in perfectly obeying the law. He's not talking about his intrinsic righteousness as deity, But he's talking about the righteousness of perfectly obeying the law. God looks at us, if you're a believer in Christ, as one who has perfectly obeyed the law. That's why there's no condemnation for us. It's not just that your sins have been paid for. That's part of it. But it's also that God has placed on your account the very righteousness of Christ in keeping the law. He doesn't look at you as a lawbreaker anymore. Christ obeyed the law in, in our place and took the punishment and condemnation for disobeying the law in our place. Folks, that's, that's mercy. That's grace. Therefore, when Christ said that he had come to fulfill the law, he meant that he is the fulfillment of every part of the law. Listen, all the laws, all of them point to him. He is the very embodiment of the law. When, when Jesus said that I've not come to destroy but to fulfill it, it's in the same sense of prophecy. He didn't come to to, to destroy prophecy. He's saying, I'm the embodiment of it. It all points to me and I fulfill it. That's the sense here. All the laws pointed to him. And by his life and death, he fulfilled every one of them. Let Let me explain to you. and Let's go through this. And I would encourage you to write this down. The law... Though the the Bible doesn't neatly divide it like this in one verse, it has to be this way because the New Testament clarifies this. The law is broken down into three aspects. First of all, there there are the ceremonial laws. Those are such laws as the sacrificial system, the whole priesthood, the the Jewish feasts, all the ceremonies, dietary laws, ritual cleansings, things things of that nature, temple worship, all, all that. Those were ceremonial laws. All of those ceremonies, watch this, were mere symbols and pictures of Christ. He's the reality. He's the substance. They were types. They were pictures. They pointed to him. We are not obligated to keep these laws. That's that's the message of of the book of Hebrews. That whole system is, is placed aside because in Christ, it was done away with in the sense that he fulfilled them. He, he is the fulfillment. That's why if you look at Colossians chapter 2, this is, this is important because people want to put us under the bondage of legalism. What you can do on certain days and what you can eat and, and what clothes you can wear. It's legalism. And Paul addressed this in many places, but I think it's very pointed in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food Or drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. You see, those are the ceremonial laws. Notice what he said. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. They're only shadows. They're only pictures. They were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He indeed is, for example, our Passover. He is our cleansing. He is our Sabbath rest. He is our ultimate sacrifice. He fulfilled that. You aren't under any law to obey certain foods. Now, you can choose whatever you want to eat, but those things are for nutritional purposes, not religious purposes. You can eat whatever you want. It may not all be good for you, but you are not under any Old Testament rule of life as to what you can eat and what you can't eat, or Jewish holidays and feasts and things like that. Remember, God told Peter, in Acts chapter 10, he gave him a vision with, with animals all on this white sheet that came down from heaven. He said, eat whatever you want, Peter. Eat whatever you want. This is to a, uh, an orthodox Jewish man who had never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord said, Peter, arise and eat. And he was simply saying that that, that, that aspect of the ceremonial laws are done away with in the sense that they're fulfilled in Christ. Jesus didn't destroy them. He simply fulfilled them. Secondly, Jesus also fulfilled all of, and this is another aspect of the law, the judicial laws or the civil codes that governed Israel. These were laws about justice. And we can say in one sense, Christ fulfilled them because he is the epitome of justice. He he is just. He is perfectly righteous. But there's also a sense in which he fulfilled them in that the cross marked Israel's rejection of the Messiah. See, these civil codes were for Israel, specifically to how to govern Israel. And the cross marked Israel's rejection of the Messiah. And by virtue of that rejection, God has, and note this, temporarily, not permanently, temporarily set Israel aside as he builds his church today made up of Jew and Gentile. And the New Testament comes along and makes it clear that the church is not, I repeat, is not mandated to follow these civil laws, these legal codes. You say, well, how do you, how do you know that? Because if we were, then we are to take stubborn children out and stone them to death. That's what the legal code said. Anyone here who's ever been involved in adultery is to be taken out and killed. That's the legal code of the Old Testament. Instead, what the New Testament teaches is that we are to abide by the judicial code set down by the governments that we live under. Romans chapter thirteen. Now, if you happen to live under a government that says those involved in adultery are to be killed, then that's what happens in that in that land. But we're not in that land, and what? And the point is, is that we don't live by those civil laws. We are not Israel. That's that's uniquely for Israel. But the real so so judicial laws, ceremonial laws, all fulfilled in Christ, in the sense that that. In his death are done away with for us. But the really important question for us is this what about the moral laws, which are presented in outline form in the Ten Commandments? Are we still obligated to obey them? And the answer emphatically, dogmatically, is yes. Why? Because the moral laws, watch this, are an expression of God's unchanging holiness. And the way Jesus continues to fulfill those moral laws today is by writing them in the hearts of his people through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is still fulfilling them through us. And I want you to see this, Romans chapter 8. Now, you know, in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul speaks about his own struggle with the law. And he tells us that he is a sinner. And I'm convinced Paul wrote this as a believer. He desires to obey God, he says, in his inward man, but he struggles with it. The things he doesn't want to do, he does. The things that he shouldn't do, he knows he he does. The things that he wants to do, he doesn't know he's doing, and it's a struggle. He comes out of Romans chapter 7 into Romans chapter 8, and look what he says about the law in verse 8 of Romans chapter, uh, verse 3 rather, of Romans chapter 8. He said, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, there's nothing wrong with the law. The problem was our flesh, our sin. God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, he was not sinful flesh, but in the likeness of it. As an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You realize what Paul is saying? Because of our sinful natures, the law was powerless to either save us or produce any righteousness in us. The law doesn't have that ability. It's not the purpose of the law. But through the death of Christ. God's condemnation against sin was poured out. On his own son. And now something wonderful has happened to us. Something great. The very moral laws of God. That we once were unable to obey. We once hated these laws. We, we couldn't stand them. Now we are able to obey them. Because the Holy Spirit has changed our hearts. And not only do we, do we have the power to obey them now, even though we still struggle with sin, you have the power to obey them, and the desire is there to obey them as well.
2: King David wrote that he loved the law of God. He delighted in it. This is a strange thing to most people. To them, the law of God is filled with do's and don'ts that prohibit them from living as they want to live. But to the believer who has been transformed within... There is a desire to know God better and to please Him fully. They want to keep God's law. I want to thank you for joining us today. Here at Verse by Verse, we are thrilled to be able to provide these biblical studies over the radio. We are a listener-supported ministry, so if you're interested in partnering with us financially so that we can continue to produce and broadcast these programs, we invite you to give us a call. The number is 727 2390306 Next time we will see how Christ used the law as a tool for witnessing. Please join us then.
0: You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse celebrating 20 years of tea-